P, can you please give a warm introduction to our guest for today? Absolutely. We have Jason Brett joining us. He is the director of the Bitcoin Policy Institute, a friend of the show, close friend. He is a regulator, also goes by Regulatory Jason, and has an incredible amount of knowledge about Bitcoin and the regulatory environment in the United States. He's joining us today with an important update. Jason, what do you got? Hey, Pete, how you doing? And it's really good to uh, see everybody on the show. And actually, you can hear me this time. So I think that's good. Is that better to see me straightforward? Yes. Yes. Okay. Also, who is that to your left? Yeah, let me let me explain. Please, this welcome yourself. This is Dusty Damon. Dusty. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, Dusty? Welcome good to the show, you, man. We, we are here at a, a mining conference right now. So we're seeing uh, it's in Round Rock, Texas. There was just a news article about it in Fox Business and also a, a, a report of it where they have all kinds of setups with uh, Bitmain showing its latest cooling system for the S19, a lot of re- neat demos. So we're, we're over there. Yeah. And he's, they, they said that last time there's a, a water park here and they, they were asking if, if Jesus had been at the water park at the, at the bar because it, Dusty was there. So yeah, that's Jesus Bitcoin. So thank, yeah. So I, I think, you know, what I can tell you is that the White House just did a final report from FSOC which is the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is like the high council of all the regulators that look over what all the other regulators like SEC do. And there was also the White House framework from on digital assets for the first time. And I think it's important to just dissect a little bit about what this means. You know, the key takeaways are really that there's likely going to be a push to regulate the exchanges more and uh, focus on even like the subsidiaries and affiliates of exchanges that regulators look at similar to the way they now look at banks for the Federal Reserve. When they look at a bank holding company or Bank of America, they look at what all the other affiliates and subsidiaries are doing. What's interesting is the key takeaways and themes of this new sort of framework that we have from the White House is to focus heavily on research and development into CBDCs. So that's like number one is is with the highest priority. And by the highest priority, the Federal Reserve, the White House, and the U.S. Treasury have formed a CBDC working group. And so they are are pushing uh, all the levers to see what research and development needs to happen if the United States should choose to introduce a CBDC. One thing that was not made public is the Department of Justice also did a report in line with the executive order on digital assets, where they just transmitted a report, which is a findings as to what type of legislation the United States might need to introduce so that a CBDC can be authorized by the Federal Reserve. That's sort of number one. And I want to harp on that for a moment, because I think there's still a there's still a genuine belief. And I think between Secretary Janet Yellen of the Treasury and also Jerome Powell at the Fed and others at the Fed who believe that if the United States can introduce a central bank digital currency, not only to, you know, maintain the strength of the dollar in terms of like what China is doing, but at the same time, they believe this will essentially quiet crypto slash Bitcoin, right? Like people will not be as interested in Bitcoin necessarily. They're really trying to go after the stablecoin market. Bitcoin really isn't, to be honest, on the li- list. It's it's more 
they're worried about these global stable coins like Circles USDC. But there still is a fundamental belief that that is why they are pushing on all levers to see if the United States can introduce the CBDC because they see it as a problem solver for really all the issues they always describe come from things like Bitcoin and other coins. That is so it's so interesting to me. So what are the also, I want to take a second, as just off topic, to introduce Dusty. We sort of like jokingly were like, oh, who the fuck's that? Dusty is an incredible contributor to the Bitcoin space. Obviously, we've known each other for a long time now. You know, open source contributor, software engineer, genius extraordinaire. It's fantastic to have you on the show as well, Dusty. Oh, thank you, man. Always enjoy seeing your face. So, Jason, why? Sorry, there's so much to unpack in, in, in what you just said. I love the idea that like, oh, shit, we're going to solve Bitcoin by introducing the opposite of Bitcoin. And because they're both digital, maybe that will shut people well, up about uh, quote unquote cryptocurrencies. But I think there are three main things to unpack here, Pete. I think the first is let, let's unpack just the attack on stable, the stablecoin marketplace, if you will. That's one part of this. There's another component of this, which is the introduction of a CBDC. And then the final component is like, how and where does Bitcoin fit into this equation, whether the US government is even considering it, or if these are subtle and steady, if this is like a poison dart, just put like right under my armpit where like, I'm not going to notice and it's just going to slowly kill me over like 30 years rather than like a direct like banning Bitcoin mining, for example. So like... I'll let Jason and Dusty sort of tell us, where do you want to start? Those are, I think, the three components of what I'm taking away from what you're saying, Jason. Do you want to start on the stablecoin front? Do you want to start on the CBDC? I, I would prefer to keep the Bitcoin of it actually towards the end because I think what we talk about in the middle will help guide what we're going to say about Bitcoin. So I'll leave it to you if you want to go down stablecoins or CBDCs. Yeah, well, I'll I actually think- jump in just for the audience. Can you define what a CBDC is? Because we're using that term and we haven't really defined it yet. Yeah, CBDC is a central bank digital currency, and it's a fairly new term. How you define it is really important. The way the Federal Reserve and the government has been stating what a CBDC is, is a, they call it an LTDA, which is a legal tender digital asset, meaning it is a coin, just like Bitcoin or any other coin, although, of course, not like it, but in their minds, it is a coin that is going to be a liability of the Federal Reserve. And being a liability of the Federal Reserve, meaning of the US government, means that that coin has the full faith and credit and backing of the United States government, the way your cash would or what you have in the bank. So it is the ultimate fiat currency, but in digital form. And so that I think is is probably, I don't know if you want to add to what you think the best way to describe what a CBDC is. Yeah, I guess the the really simple way I think of it is it's like we have these stable coins that are pegged with the U.S. dollar. And then if it was a stable coin issued by the government, it'd be like a more stable stable coin. Just the explain like I'm five version. Yeah, yeah. Explain it like your four version is like right now you have a stable coin that's backed by the U.S. dollar, which is backed by what is it backed by? Oh, it's not gold. It's, it's no, it's nothing. Uh, no, it's, nothing. Yeah, yeah nothing, it. nothing. So it's so it's a coin backed by nothing. So instead of having a coin that someone issues that's backed by nothing, it's developing a coin on nothing. On nothing. Can, yeah. can I take one jab at, at simplifying this in that our current fiat dollars are just a central 
bank currency and all a CBDC would be is just never again introducing a physical dollar and all of that will just be digital, i.e. a central bank digital currency, whereas the fiat is just the central bank currency. Is that simple That's, enough? Yeah. And they and they and they believe in in both. In other words, they think that cash will still have a, a role. But oh, that interesting. you have like a, a app on your phone. So as you're going about your Saturday, maybe you have a purchase you make for a few hundred dollars on your credit card or, you know, through your through your just regular credit card or your Apple credit card and and then oh you you're stopping by the store and you just want to buy some soda or and some chips and lunch, you can use your C B D C app to just buy, you know what you need at the grocery store using like digital cash. So they don't actually care about stopping money laundering or drug dealing or any of that, because if you did, you would actually eliminate physical cash from the real world. Right. Mm, I mean, I think that's a leap, but I'm, I'm just saying there's more cash used for those illicit activities than digital, any form of digital cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. So, look, what is the most used currency around the world? I know you guys know this already, so it's sort of rhetorical. It's the $100 bill, right? U.S. dollar bill. You can go anywhere. You can go to North Korea and probably use $100 bills because that is the global currency right now. So there's not necessarily an interest to get rid of the physical version, and that's a lot of what I think the Federal Reserve is trying to think through on a geopolitical level is what happens if we eliminate this physical currency that people are using around the world and make sure that they use the digital version of that. That's not, it's not something they want to risk by just eliminating the cash. That that's my take on it. What so I why think, is good? What I think is important is to understand the vec, the attack vector of the CBDC, the attack vector, or what is it is the goal that the government is trying to accomplish is introduce a digital form of cash but that one that might actually be able to, the Federal Reserve might be able to use levers the way they use now with interest rates to stoke the economy in certain directions. So there's like questions of limits, right? Meaning P can hold up to $500 worth of CBDC and Q could hold up to $500. And Dustin, no one can hold more than $500 worth of CBDC. And then if the Fed were to lower rates again, this could actually be a lever where they could then introduce where maybe they had a positive interest rate before literally say you each have $500 in your account, but guess what? Starting next month, we're going to take $5 out of your CBDC wallet every month because that's your negative interest rate, which would of course their ideas to spark you to go spend at stores. So let's be really clear. It's not so much a move. It's, it's there, there's the potential for layering in, actual monetary policy within a CBDC beyond just replacing cash. Yeah, I mean, that, like that's said, the primary goal here. It's basically, hey, how can we create a, a shock collar that we can put on the neck of every American so that we can kind of goose them to do what we want them to do in order to, you know, protect the U.S. hegemony and perpetuate the policies or sort of increase the reach and effectiveness and s speed that they can enact these policies that are designed to, you know, shape the economy. And it feels like they believe they need that more and more because of this more and more tumultuous macroeconomic environment that we are headed into, the world is headed into. Yeah. Does that seem accurate? You know, I mean, if ever there's a clue, and tell me if you agree with this, Dusty, I mean, the fact that they're willing to put a limit on it of like 
say $500, if that doesn't tell you that the CBDC is not being proposed as a way of how people can get rich and produce a savings account, really that's your answer as to where this is coming from. This is not about how to help you save, which is where I, why I think this is all very good for Bitcoin, because I think Bitcoin will still be left alone and people will see Bitcoin as a way of saving money because the CBDC will not be a vehicle to be able to do that. The reason that it won't be allowed to be a vehicle to do that is because a lot of the bank, the, the traditional banking system, remember I'm, I'm a former FDIC regulator, so the traditional banking system is really scared of the idea of CBDCs because they're afraid people are going to move all their money into CBDCs and that's not going to be so good for the banks. And we saw that in Ukraine. The people were starting to use cryptocurrency when they were getting all the donations in. But then Ukraine came in and they said for their banking system, they're shutting off access to crypto because they were afraid their banking system would collapse in the middle of this invasion. And, you know, essentially they couldn't do that because everyone sees banks as the ultimate utility that must exist for intermediation. So I think that Bitcoin as a disintermediated digital gold will, will have huge value if, if the government were actually to introduce a CBDC. Their, their aim is stable coins, not Bitcoin. Well, it feels like it feels like they're trying to tackle all the stable coins that exist. And I have to imagine the main use of those stable coins is arbitrage across borders for U.S. dollars. where U.S. dollars don't function. So, but if they're trying to, like, capture that market, but then they regulate the stable coins so much, I feel like they're just going to fall on their face. Like, tell me if that's a naive interpretation. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. But in the end, I think it's great that they're focused on that instead of Bitcoin. Right. Like, yeah. Go, go play over there. No problem. Yeah. So do you feel like when they say, you, know, you mentioned earlier that they're viewing this as sort of a way to kind of potentially cut the legs out from underneath people's interest in stable coins, do you feel like that is really their goal here? Or is it more what we're talking about now that they want, you know, to put the shot collar on each person so that they can guide their behavior more? I, I don't think they'd ever see it that way. I think that they're thinking about these as traditional monetary instruments but i think it's true that you have to see i think that stable coins are on the menu i find it fascinating right that facebook was criticized because they banned cryptocurrency advertising and then when facebook came out and said well now we're going to do our own global coin as they first called it literally global coin change it to libra and then all the regulators came in and there was even one congressman who was taking mark zuckerberg to task saying you're trying to create a zuckbuck you're trying to create money and you can't do that the u.s government can but you can't do that and so what they essentially did was they stopped facebook from doing it and now the u.s government is ready to introduce so it's like first you had <laughs> facebook keeping everybody out and then when facebook came and the government said no no you can't do it we'll tell you when we're ready and and we'll do it in in, in typical traditional fiat fashion i mean look this is hundreds and hundreds of years of behavior of, of seeing money as the key to a nation state right so if anyone on the show or in general had not thought through the game theory on this, that they might push back a little bit if we were trying to introduce their own money, you're not thinking straight. I mean, this has happened to community forms of money time and time again. So it would not, it would not only not go down without a fight, but it, I think you're, you're going to see a war over it. A war, sorry, a war over what specifically? A, a war, not, a war, not like a, a fighting war. But a, a war over the fact of who's going to control the money in a digital mm. United Is it going to be government fiat based? In other words, they're not just going to like hang out and be like, yeah, let everyone use Bitcoin and Lightning. Right. Like, of course, they're going to object to it. 
Dusty, you were going to say something. Oh, I forgot. But I am thinking that, like, like I'm really glad the government's ignoring lightning. That's awesome. I feel like in the hierarchy of things, they're, like, focused on, like, stable coins and then Bitcoin and lightning. And hopefully we can keep it that way. Protect lightning for as long as possible so we can build it up better. I'm excited for that. Oh, I was going to say before is that uh, we're talking about how Facebook was banning cryptocurrencies made their own. Governments banning Facebook making their cryptocurrency ban their own. Eventually, Bitcoin will just stop the governments from making their own currencies. Don't tell them that, though. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it will stop. Told, I was just going to say, even if you told them that, I don't think it would be a, they would even stop trying to do whatever they're doing. They would look at you like you have no idea what you're talking about because they think they know better than everyone else. Yeah. P, I, I totally just bulldozed over what you were going to say. I, I was just going to comment that I don't think it's going to stop them. It's just going to, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. They're going to continue doing whatever they're going to do, but Bitcoin and the systems that are based on Bitcoin will continue to offer more, more effectively incentivized, better outcomes. And thus people will continue to be drawn to them over and over and over again. So what do you think the correct, like what, what happens next, Jason? Like what, what do you expect? How do you expect this this to proceed on and on what timeline do you expect a US CBDC to be rolled out? Well, I think the signal right now is there's research and development agenda that's being developed by the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy and the National Science Foundation with the specific goal of investing US dollars, real dollars, right? Regular dollars as we have into how we can develop what's needed for an apparatus to actually introduce a CBDC in the United States. So they're going to throw money. And if, you know, for developers, anyone who's interested, you know, it's going to be kind of like an Uncle Sam wants you to help develop this because there, if you think about it, this is like more than a moon launch if they were to launch this. And for those, I'm dating myself here, but, you know, remember maybe Obama's healthcare.gov incident? <laughs> where, you know, it went live and it was control alt delete. It didn't work. I mean, that's a real problem. And that upset a lot of people, but that was just for healthcare. I mean, like to get your government healthcare. Can you imagine if we all, and someone was asking a really good question, which is how they would introduce CBDCs. I personally think it's going to be via airdrop. I mean, they're going to follow what the industry does. Suddenly you'll wake up and everyone will have a thousand dollars for free in their, in their digital wallets, you know, for CBDC that'll be offered by the private sector. So there you go. You have a thousand dollars offered. Everyone starts going to the grocery stores. Wouldn't that be fun to have a show like in a grocery store on the day that they launch this when like nobody's cash is working. They can't buy groceries. They can't buy food for their family. And there's like, a, you know, a control alt delete healthcare.gov failure. Like people would never trust the CDC again. So if you think about that, like when they I think that they'll, they'll, we are looking at a long three to five year outlook before we actually see it introduced. It's not going to be tomorrow because they know they just can't get it wrong. It has to be introduced in a way that there will maybe be some minor glitches, but no catastrophic failures. And I think that's what they're looking for from R&D is, is what do they need to have in place to make sure this thing is, you know, Byzantine fault tolerant and all the rest. I mean, can you, can you, I mean, P and Q imagine and Dusty, like all of the hackers in the world would be lining up waiting for this to be launched, trying to find a weakness in the system. It's, it's, such a, it's such a complex thing to build. There's so many ways to screw that up. I mean, the, that healthcare site was, it was literally just a site where it forwarded you to other insurance policies. Like, Scripps could have built that in a weekend. 
didn't they spend a billion dollars on that and it yeah. still didn't work? I would, I mean, it just given that level of like historical competence, I'd be shocked if they could actually pull off integrations with like grocery stores. But I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I would guess they'd probably end up doing some kind of like partnership with like Visa or something where actually some company builds the stuff. But that's just wild speculation. I don't, I don't, it just seems so hard to build from a technical perspective. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, BitMEX. BitMEX is one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade, actively donating to developers and putting out some of the most cited research articles. What you might not know is that BitMEX recently launched a brand new spot exchange and mobile app that takes the experience of buying and holding to the next level. We know that, especially in uncertain market conditions, you need an exchange that is trustworthy and innovative. Sign up at bitmex.com today, check out the BitMEX blog for some great market insights, and stay tuned to our podcast for more from their team. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 Euros for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Real quick, it's actually not a far-fetched visa has already filed a patent with the USPTO for the exclusive right to develop a CBDC for the United States government. So they've already filed a patent. This is like Visa is already way, way ahead of the game here, where they're saying, if you want to convert physical cash into a digital form, they're already arguing with the USPTO that they should have the patent to be the only ones able to do that. So this is their, you said this is their, their top priority right now? Like the Federal Reserve and a couple other agencies? Well, yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the National Economic Director, they had a press conference when they released the, this White House framework. And they gave, you know, these three main concepts, the first of which was the priority for U.S. CBDC and to figure out how to do it technically. It's crazy. So I kind of want to unpack something here because there is a degree of this where I, I like this idea of it's probably going to come from the private sector. It's probably going to just be the government like contracting this out. I don't want to necessarily say like, oh, like could this happen or could that happen? But I kind of want to just unpack the idea of 
U.S. citizens waking up one day and being told, hey, your money doesn't work the way you have for 20, 30, 50, 80 years of your life, money no longer works the way you, you are used to. Like, what would what would the rollout from the government side look like? I'm assuming there would be some sort of how-tos, but at the same time, it's like, this just feels like, all right, scratch that question. This is my real question. How much of this is a pump fake thinking like, hey, they're, they're putting all this time and effort and energy into CBDCs in this direction and all of this, but like they have no actual intention of following through on this and focusing their energies elsewhere on say like figuring out how to shut down all of bitcoin mining in the state of texas i think i think it's a fairly straightforward strategy i don't think there's a lot of different plays in the playbook but what i will what i will comment on regarding the cbdc apparatus and the other concerns is if you think about it is our government has a history of introducing new types of currency out of necessity so the question is, is this really a necessity? And if you go back to history, it was actually the Secret Service that came into play after the Lincoln assassination that focused on, because they had just started issuing the greenbacks or dollar bills, and th their primary focus was counterfeit. And I've spoken with the, the Secret Service since then, and I think they publicly said, you know, th their focus is going to be on digital counterfeits of the CBDC. So you're looking at literally 170 years of history where all the way back to the Secret Service is going to then take the take that issue over of how do we avoid counterfeits and going after people who do digital counterfeits. When you think about the when you think about the way we've introduced dollars in the past, counterfeits have always been an issue. First, you had the revolutionary dollar, you know, continental dollar that was introduced, and one of the British's tactics during the Revolutionary War was to introduce counterfeits to make the the continental dollar useless. With um, you know, the greenback being introduced and, and with, from national banks, that was helped fund the Civil War you know, from the North. So that was another pressing need that even Abraham Lincoln is quoted as saying, because someone at the time wanted to say, in God we trust on the dollar bill, which we all see today. But initially, he didn't say that because Lincoln wouldn't okay it. He said, this is really just paper currency. And he said, I'd rather say something like you know, the, the Paul and Peter kind of thing of, I, I, I wish I had more gold and silver to give you, but please accept this instead. You know, so he even recognized it's just really paper currency that was given back in the Civil War. So the question is, like, what's the pressing need? You know, what's happening? Or is there some war? Is there like, why are we introducing? And I don't know that there is a good enough reason yet why we're introducing a brand new form of money. I think that there's that's the direction they're going in. But I think to your point, Q, I think there is a little bit of hesitancy. It's sort of like the U.S. has such a good hold on the way the dollar works now. Are they really going to try to risk something? It's like a Facebook or Google. Can they really innovate too much, right? Or are they just stuck in the model that they have? And I guess like the, the motivation of China did it is like a motivation, but probably not strong enough to just risk upsetting the whole currency system. Yeah. I mean, what's the evidence yet really to say that China's starting to take over? People are like going after that currency. You know, it's not, it hasn't really gotten legs yet and because most people realize it's their way of trying to do surveillance on transactions it's the right. opposite so there's it's hard to say is this really an attractive currency yet but you know they, the chinese still have a ways to go with getting people on an international level to accept their currency 
It was weird that uh, Saudi Arabia announced they were selling 25% of their oil for the Chinese yuan. Mm -hmm. That was a weird announcement. Yep. Kind of unexpected to me. But yeah, I think I think there's definitely dusty a, a, a trend now toward what we're seeing is perhaps the weakening of this the U.S. dollar in general, and how long traditionally does one specific currency really hold power over the whole world? So that that I think is a real sign of what is the strength of the U.S. dollar internationally. Yeah. Fifty years kind of feels like the end of the average window, right? Like mm -hmm. we're we're at fifty years, just about if you count it from '72. Yeah. Longer if you count like Bretton Woods or something. So I kind of want to, I want to first just highlight for a moment here because your guys are bringing up sort of the China of it all. And I want to highlight last week we had Natalie Smolensky, Jason, your colleague from BPI, come on and discuss her white paper where she equated the idea of a CBDC as this surveillance technology that the likes of a communist country like China would use, but a freedom, democracy-oriented culture and country like America should be aghast at this idea. I want to shout out Fernando Curiel. I hope I pronounced that properly, man. And the YouTube chat just saying, this is absolutely scary as hell. And it, it is the idea that the U.S. is going to roll out a type of technology that a country like China has normalized or thinks is acceptable for their citizens. I want to talk, though, about a new story that P, myself, and Chris were discussing before you guys joined us. And it's this drama occurring with Tom Emmer and how the White House has essentially pulled their CBDC sort of policy paperwork. It was no, it's no longer publicized now. And I would just love to get your guys' thoughts um, just on between Jerome Powell kind of more or less laying out the impossibility of rolling out a CBDC that accomplishes everything that they would hope to accomplish. You have these reports coming out of the White House and then you have different senators also coming out essentially attacking the idea and the rhetoric that the White House is pushing forward. I'm assuming here the White House kind of does have final say on these things, but do you do you think there are any legs for Senator Representative Tom Emmer to stand on in his fight against the Biden administration on this? Yeah, so Emmer's been pretty clear about his position. In fact, he introduced a bill that a CBDC would not be introduced and serviced at the retail level, that it'd be essentially the way commercial bank work, money works now. And I know he has a lot of concerns, particularly around privacy for CBDCs. And I think that that's not something the White House will, will go into lightly on the privacy front, because I've heard in Congress from other House offices and Senate offices, like, you know, they talk to people in their district about the idea of a CBDC, people that know nothing about Bitcoin, and they get scared as hell, as Fernando pointed out. They're like, Jesus, I mean, the government's going to be like on my phone watching everything I buy and can like people are not dumb. They, they figure out very quickly like a government money, but it's on my phone and they don't like that. And so there's a lot of sort of just uptick of responses that that these offices are getting, particularly around election time, where there's a lot of concerns about the privacy. That is, you know, literally the biggest the biggest, I think, you know, pushback on this is, and that's to the point of it's not, we're not a communist country. We're not interested in having, you know, surveillance or creating more opportunities, you know, for surveillance. Think, one, yeah. Well, I think like, like there's that element. And also like one of the big benefits of banks as a business is their connection to the consumers. And I think like a CBDC feels like that would threaten some of the bank's business model. 
So you have like, I imagine they would be against a lot of versions of the CBDC. So you have corporate interests probably fighting it, plus the voting base thinking it's creepy. I imagine in a place like China, it feels like a much more top-down country. They can kind of push that stuff through. But in, in America, I imagine it would just get tons of resistance, what you're saying. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I don't know any other industry that is so blatant about protecting their own interests <laughs> because, like, I mean, if it's the car industry and we need to, like, fix the seatbelts because, like, people might be dying, they're like, yeah, we got to fix this for, like, the consumers. That's really important. We're going to make this the number one priority or electric cars working better or, you know, take your pick. But, like, when it comes to the CBDC and banks, like, you know, the, the first conversation as well is it good for the consumer? And the banking industry lobby will very quickly say, yeah, but is this good for banks? Let's let's talk about this. I'm not sure this is going to be good for banks. And it's like, you know, like, like, forget about the consumer. What about us? You know, what about our businesses? And that's that's a, a pretty amazing trait that that particular industry has, that it literally will just blatantly say, how can this best serve us as an industry? I don't know the size of their lobbyist group, but I imagine it's one of the biggest ones. It is the biggest. Yeah. No surprise. But, you know, I think that the, the, the main thrust of like this is that, and, and when Brian Deese during the, you know, when he was interviewed, like talked about the three top line takeaways, the first takeaway was this CBDC. So it's on their mind. They're trying to figure it out for sure. You know, and so I think that what's interesting is that the next item that he talked about, which if it's okay to move on to from CBDCs for a second, is all the risks associated with cryptocurrencies, specifically um, consumer risks and environmental risks. So what's really interesting is that there are reports in the White House said to FERC regarding their, their energy as an energy agency that they need to be looking into and creating disclosures for Bitcoin miners and disclosures for how much energy is being used. So it, what's fascinating is a Democratic commissioner of FERC pushed back, and I have to look up her name because it's slipping me right now, but she said, why should we be looking at Bitcoin? Like, we look at all the different energy sources all the time. We look at this, we look at that. Like, why, why are we suddenly prejudicing a specific energy form that's using energy? I'm not going to take the time to specifically invest a focus on making sure this one little small area of all the different areas where energy comes from that they need to like report and go her. Yeah. And let me tell you, it was pretty brave of her to say, because I mean, Senator Elizabeth Warren's head was about to pop off. You know, she, <laughs> she has been writing letters. She's waiting for them to implement some kind of a, of an agency and, and, and Jared Huffman of California, who's also a Democrat. This woman's a Democrat. They're in the same party. He's like, this lady's nuts. Like she should be removed as a commissioner. Don't they understand they have to start looking at Bitcoin because otherwise the world's going to blow up. And so, what I think, unfortunately, has been solidified from this is, you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with Alex DeVries and the Digiconomist that has really poked fun at the energy use of Bitcoin for some time, but was taken seriously by the White House and in their report was quoted as if it's a scientific you know, oh, agency. So there's this, the FUD that was being pushed by him to say that Bitcoin is going to end the world is now being taken by the White House as saying, yeah. This could end the world from a climate perspective. And so we need, you know, and and where there is an unfortunate intersection and I have 
a little bit of empathy for Biden and his administration is he's pushing the ESG narrative. And so what happened was digital assets boiled up from all the different things going on. It came to his desk. And what he has said to everybody is, if it's going to interfere with the climate, we got to do something about it. And so he was really left with no choice when a lot of this evidence was brought to him, whether true or not, about how Bitcoin could affect the environment. And it's against his agenda. He's, this is an administration that's very focused on ESG. Not all administrations are like this. This may very well go away in 2024. But for right now and for the next two years, he has his eyes out for anything that could harm his objective of getting us to that net carbon neutrality by 2050. And so that's, that's really what you have is the combination of factors of and why I would encourage institutions across the world to take up doing studies on Bitcoin mining, because they have said they're open to more information. So this isn't like game over. They want more information. They have to produce another report at the White House next September. So between now and next September, if you're in a university or you know a university, get them to do a neutral study on this. Focus on where there's renewables that's used, what the real impact at the end of the day is to the environment, where there's positive uses. And we need to show that to the White House. So when their next report comes out, some of the stuff that's been put out there that we all know is is FUD can really be fought back yeah, against. I read some of that guy's reports. It is it is the shoddiest reporting I've ever seen. Study on this kind of stuff, like having some good stuff. Out. It's it's just shocking that the government's actually using this bad of stuff as if it's real information. And I think like you have to fight it with more information that actually is correct. It's the only way to do it. So go do academic stuff if you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to. I want to also just maybe unpack a little bit of the the stable coin of this all. Is there even so much as like, first off, Luna Terra, is that part of any inclination? Like did Do Kwan somehow also fuck the American people in his attempt to scam the entire world? Or is this stable coin, as you mentioned, like circles, stable coin and other projects that are akin to this, are those more the focus of the U S government? So action um, to Luna. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think the problem has been that the White House decided to t get numerous reports and take a six-month snapshot of what's happening in cryptocurrency. So from March of this year to now, September, that's when Terra Luna happened to crash. So Yes, what Do Kwan did with that particular stablecoin, because it rose to such prominence and then failed, has, and you can look at the latest EPSOC report that just came out. The EPSOC report shows that there is, in fact, evidence to, 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 to and they walk through a case study of what happened with Terra Luna. And they're like, well, this is a problem with stablecoins. More specifically, the algorithmically backed stablecoins. Now, last year, the Treasury did a report on stable coins. They talked about introducing legislation, but they didn't touch anything about the algo-backed stable coins. So it seems now they're finally sort of saying, and there's been discussions that the latest stable coin bill in Congress that has been being negotiated with Treasury might include a two-year ban or moratorium on any algorithmically-backed stable coins. So that, that, has, that has truly, what I would say it has done is Do Kwan and that explosion has led to the U.S. government thinking that there's payment stable coins like USDC, which is good, right? Because it's backed by actual U.S. dollars. And then there's if you're going to try to create some computer program around the dollar, 
that's bad. And I think that's what you're you're seeing the fallout from that now. And it is it, it has been said by many people, including Nick D from Coindesk and others who said if this hadn't happened with Terra Luna and then the fallout with Three Arrows and Celsius and all of that, it might have been a very different report. But now there is this focus on, like I was saying earlier, on the affiliates and subsidiaries of these crypto companies that they want to learn more about and be able to investigate and provide rules about what those subsidiaries and affiliates can do because they're worried about all these interlocking agreements between the, the different crypto firms. <sighs> Fucking Mashinsky and Doquan still still throwing knives up from their graves. Dude, uh, man, the stuff that's been coming out around Celsius lately is like, I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, we, we, we didn't even touch this story. Pete, you want to bring up this one story? Oh me and him, uh, yeah. whatever, like we're taking $10 million out of the- uh, Oh, they filed a schedule of assets and liabilities of financial affairs with the courts, which includes details to customer claims. The information regarding the upcoming claims process can be found on their website under claims process FAQ section. So like- <laughs> They're just keep, oh, Chris, this tweet has been deleted by Celsius now. Oh, Jesus. I just think it's like the fact that, that Machinsky, if, if I understood correctly, and I barely looked at it because I started seeing red and punched a hole in my screen, but he extracted $10 million out of the company and then resigned. And the saddest thing is that there were Twitter spaces still happening that were like, he, oh, he, he also, it looks like, did like a GoFundMe campaign that was like, please help me to survive with only the $10 million that I extracted from our customers before resigning. And people were in there like, we got to support our boy. It's just like, oh my fucking God. So, anyway. Second ICO to fund all the collapsing of the, which has happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. It's, it's just clown world stuff. So, so, you know, one thing to just raise here, I think is, a lot of times we think we live in America and we think we live in the kind of America that we idolize. But at the end of the day, corporations have an awful lot of power. If you think about the financial crisis and the fallout that we experienced with AIG, AI, is that better? Oh no, Jason, that's not a note for you. That was a note for Chris. You, you're on a roll. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. What I think is, if we remember, AIG got funding, taxpayer money. So all our taxpayer money went to the government to help bail out AIG. And then what happened a year later, AIG paid bonuses to its employees and it was a huge scandal, but that's the power of a corporation, right? That, that that's what Alex Mashinsky holds is he can take out $10 million and uh, there might be more serious consequences for him than bankers that can kind of get away with this or endorsed, you know? So what I guess I would say is this is nothing, you know, still punch the hole through the screen P, but gee, at least it wasn't taxpayer money that he took out of the company, right? It's, it's what belongs to the people. Not that it's any better. If anything, like this concept of like providing bonuses after the crisis is like how institutionalized we all are by the action of these large firms. That is a great point. Yeah. It's fucking infuriating. And, and it's what, and what Mashinsky did by no means am I, am I, it's saying he's he's right that this is absolutely absurd like same with the voyager like why aren't they putting the customer first you know and like because it was never about that it's always about 
And if you think about what I said before about the banks, right? Yeah. The banks think about themselves first. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it is totally absurd what he is doing. And I think he is calculating the risk that he believes he can get away with it and that no one will really shut him down. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. I have a, a sort of somewhat tangential question. Dusty, have you looked into Lightning Labs' new like asset over Lightning protocol yet? Not very deeply, no. I just I've heard about it. I skimmed the white paper, if that counts. So we, we, we had a range entry on recently. And one thing that I, we didn't get a chance to go into detail on is like how exactly one might be able to, or how, how you would have stable coins over Lightning via the Terra protocol. I was trying to understand that, but I'm not sure if you have any. I mean, like my, my loose understanding, which to be fair, I have not dove into it at all, is that you basically have a stable coin issuer that owns, has your stable coins and they control them and then they can send a message across Lightning to another institution that also controls them. So like in my understanding of it, the stable coin is totally separate from Lightning. They just kind of use it as like a message sending protocol between two institutions that are controlling it. So it's kind of, as I understand it, it's not really on Lightning. It's more just like using Lightning to send the message across. Maybe, I don't know if Ryan Jensen would not like that explanation, but it's, as my understanding, as weak as my understanding is. He just sense? messaged me saying, tell Dusty to go fuck himself. No, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. He did not mention, he, I have no idea if that's accurate or what his characterization of that would be. Okay, so where do we go from here in this conversation? What are the interesting aspects of CBDCs, the White House, and their hatred of Bitcoin that we can keep talking about? What do you guys think? You know, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that CBDCs are that interesting, right? I mean, it's it's an idea that is essentially a tool of how to continue the lifespan of the U.S. dollar and what it's done in the world. I think to one degree or another, it's important to recognize what what Bitcoin has going for it, which is there's not been a ban on it from this executive order. No one's even talking about a ban. When I speak to people in Congress, they're kind of reluctant to talk to me is, and they used to just blow me off. And now they're like, oh, okay, you win, Jason. We got to listen because we realize that this isn't going anywhere. So I think that's very good when you think about it. What you're seeing though is from this executive order is this neat notion of, and this is the third thing, right? Beyond the risks of consumers and, and, and environmental concerns and then the CBDCs. The third part is the illicit finance piece. And what the White House is saying is they're seeing huge amounts of issues. And if you think about tornado cash, right, what that represents. And then if you look at what happened in the CFTC, where it wasn't Bitcoin, but it was a, a DAO that had governance coins. And now the people who own the governance coins are actually liable for the actions of that DAO as an unincorporated association for trading, you know, derivatives, products and futures and options without having a license, you know, with the CFTC. And that's related to a clampdown on this idea of know your customer. Know your customer. It is, it is something that the CFTC and the other agencies, FinCEN, all signed together. And to be honest, if you look at Oki, and this is my advice to people who please, you know, if you listen to anything I say, please listen to this. But if you're not going to, you're not going to anyway. But like when you introduce your product, don't say this is how to avoid regulation. This is like, don't flaunt the fact of what you're doing to the regulator. Like, hey, this is a great way to do money laundering. Like, and we're proud of it. You know, <laughs> the regulators can't touch us. Like, not a good strategy. And, and really what they saw with, with this particular CFTC issue was 
the company came out and said, this is a way to foolproof the system where the regulators will never bother you if you use our system. We, you don't have to worry about KYC with us. So KYC is now very much an important concept because of issues like terrorist financing or money laundering. So where, what I'm going to pee in the end game, if we go to the end game for Bitcoin that I worry about is I think that Bitcoin will be fine. We'll all be able to hold Bitcoin. But as you saw with MICA, this notion, and that's in Europe, what just came out with MICA, and this notion, I think, of where we're seeing what is a currently a request for comment by the U.S. Treasury on the illicit finance and digital assets will be, you will see a rule where self-hosted wallets, meaning you have a, you know, your ledger wallet or coin, you know, whatever it might be, cold wallet on you, like, and your name is Q, that's not going to be good enough. You're going to have to provide your full name to the U.S. government if you hold an, a self-hosted wallet. And I think that that to me is the worst outcome for people who care about Bitcoin and the sovereignty that's involved. But if you're asking me where all this is going, I think you, you'll still see the push for the CBDC to kind of push back against a stable coin. You'll see issues relating to environmental and other consumer protections, maybe disclosures before you buy Bitcoin that this may go down in value. And then I think from the whole terrorist financing thing, they're going to want to know who's operating in it under the auspices of national security risks, you know, so that there isn't Bitcoin being used by some terrorist organization to drop a bomb on us. And when you say all that, it sounds very daunting, like, well, how could you push back on it? But that's exactly where I think we need to push back on it to understand you can't just say there's national security risks. We're owed at least an explanation. And don't tell us we can't know as a population what that explanation is for our own safety. Jason, sorry to interrupt you, though. But, but unfortunately, the Patriot Act actually says on the contrary to that. <laughs> you, you are a white man who has not ex really experienced the Patriot Act. So let me let me welcome you into the fold, my friend, because <laughs> everyone has experienced the bullshit of the Patriot Act. <laughs> like we are all under it, surveillance now. It's just it, it's comical this idea that they get to determine how and when they see fit and what is the bad guy or the boogeyman that they're going to go after. I, I did not mean to cut you off. I just, no. it, it's funny to me because that, that is the same dialogue and rhetoric that I I've heard for over 20 years now being used at or towards or to justify certain decisions that we've seen made under the guise of, well, this is for national security. This is to, to stop terrorism. Shameless. I, yeah. Oh, I, go ahead. I totally, go ahead. P, I totally agree. Like, the, the I'm, cute. I'm the better letter. Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to discriminate against letters. I'm really in trouble. <laughs> Look, and I'm Jewish, by the way. So I, I feel like I'm somewhat in trouble. But what I will tell you is that, like, there's two data points. What you just talked about with 9-11 that has impacted the way we do this. And what started this whole mess was with drug wars in the 1980s. And suddenly it was decided that if Dustin's walking down the street with $10,000 in cash. He's obviously going to buy some cocaine. I mean, what other reason would he have? You know, clearly not to maybe go buy some Bitcoin miners or invest in some coding school, right? We are at like, a mining conference. And so, so cash really got labeled negatively right. with the drug wars. And then our privacy and the elements of who's doing what, you know, was with 9-11. And I think that it's very scary. And you're right. It is. There are impacts 
probably broader impacts to the minorities in this country from what a CBDC would do. That would probably, no, I don't know. Dustin personally, Eastside Tony. I, I, <laughs> I, I know him well enough. I consider him a good friend. We definitely but, don't do cocaine yeah, deals yeah. together. No, no, no. Well, after the show, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we lost oh, I think I lost Pete. I think I lost Pete. again. No, that was intentional. Someone ah. is banging very close to my microphone, so I'm trying to, I'm yelling ah. at them to stop, please. My dog is terrible, just drop stuff constantly. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, I think that you're, 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 to your point, Q, which is an excellent one, it's already there. But what I am saying, though, is that with, it, there's no reason to, there has to be some compromise. There has to be something where, and I think this is where like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency will start to catch on more and more. Because when people realize what's at stake, even if they don't care about crypto, they're going to realize, like just how much of our rights are we willing to forfeit? I think that's why you'll probably see a, a much more of a Bitcoin grassroots movement that focuses on these ideas of right to privacy, right to property, and, and things of that nature. You're right, Q, it's a lot of land, but we need, we, need, we need to do better because the direction that we're headed in is, it's not worth it, right? For us to have survived 9-11 and then act this way toward our own citizens. Like I said, man, welcome. Welcome to the fold. <laughs> so, Go ahead, P. Yeah, and I feel like we just keep talking over each other. Q, you say what you were going to say, and then I'll interrupt you halfway through. <laughs> well, I was, I was just going to shift this now to focus a little bit more on, on just the Bitcoin of it all and how we think these sort of regulatory efforts will in turn start to lay the groundwork and the foundation of how the regulation will then be turned onto Bitcoin, because eventually it will be. I don't, I don't think... Bitcoin will just be ignored, even if in this short-term window of three to five years while they figure out how to create a CBDC and roll it out, they will just very soon follow that failed attempt with, all right, now let's go after Bitcoin. And I'm curious if there's anything about, I don't know, something as simple as banning access to certain networks or certain blockchains, or even something as simple as, you know, identifying and making all holders of a certain token identify themselves so that they are KYC'd. I mean, they're probably going to try to do that for sure. Probably all those things. I don't know. My hot take is that like at a high level, if they get distracted by all the CBD stuff, it'll take them longer to get to that. And that's more time for us to build up more like obscuring privacy technology and techniques for Bitcoin in general. And I think that it's kind of one of those like games where Bitcoin will always win. There will always be a technological way for Bitcoin to survive any kind of regulation. And I think that like the longer we can wait until the government inevitably tries to like shut it down, the better off we'll be. And, and you know, maybe I mean, I think most likely that day will come when the government tries to shut it down and they're going to realize how woefully unprepared, like none of their tools actually work. Like just, just anecdotally, it feels like Congress's approach is like find a guy, bring him into Congress and harass him. And then like threaten them with like regulations and, and whatever. But there's no guy to do that to in Bitcoin. It's a totally decentralized thing. There's no CEO. So we're like, we're immune from the most, what they're used to working as their power grab. And they're going to have to fall back to like secondary things. And, you know, my hot takes, I don't think they're going to have any. The ones they do have are going to be like flimsy. And I mean, I think at one point it'll probably switch. We're, we're already seeing politicians pop up all over the place that are supporters of Bitcoin in small amounts. I think at a certain point, there'll probably be so many of them that the government just switches over from hating on Bitcoin to being like, Bitcoin's cool. We probably dodge that fight. 
but maybe I put that at like, I don't know, 60% odds. I could still see a fight totally going down. But I think delaying really is good. Like if we can get just delay the stuff long enough, then eventually we'll get to the point where we can have that peaceful transition over to hard money in the U.S. anyway. So I think that I think you're you're 100% right about there not being like the CEO of Bitcoin that they can just drag in and you know kneecap in front of everybody. But I think it it is forcing them to use these more insidious techniques, right? We're starting to see these sort of you know regulatory capture and things like that are becoming or we're seeing larger and larger amounts of encroachment via that attack vector. And you know when we were talking earlier about CBDCs, I was going to make the joke like. You know, like, yeah, sure. Like, give me $500 in CBDCs. I'm just going to slam it into Bitcoin. But the reality is, oh, you guys still there? Oh, you got to run? Oh, no, no. He's still here. He's just got the conference leader is going to go see if he wants to come on. Uh, keep going. Oh, nice. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Amazing. But, but my point was going to be like, you know, like we can joke about being like, oh, yeah, if we got $500 in CBDCs, we would just immediately turn it into whatever, cash, and then buy Bitcoin with it. The problem is the average person is not going to be, they're not going to see it that way. They're not going to do it. So it's like it creates this, this, uh, it's not about what we as hardcore Bitcoiners would do. It's about sort of like the average person. And so I think that, you know, these narratives and the articles that are sort of focused on Bitcoin, you know, being quote unquote bad for the environment and shit like that, those become the attack vector. So completely agree with you. I think we're going to win at the end of the day, but I think we all have to be super vigilant as I know you are. I know you're not, you wouldn't disagree with that too, to being aware of all the other stuff going on too. Oh, goodbye, Dusty. <laughs> Hello, yes, hello. He's still here. He's still, <laughs> still here. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, hey, I just want to take a moment because uh, I'm here at this amazing venue at the mining conference with the leaders in the Bitcoin mining space, and this is Scott Offord. And Scott is has you know he's very credentialed. And oh my God! Wait, wait, sorry. Hold up that badge full of all the ribbons first. Yeah. <laughs> How many wars have you fought in, sir? Oh, these are so good. Holy shit! I'm so jealous. Yeah. Yeah. And so, flare. I got the flare. And and Scott inter introduced this last year. I was at this event last year. It's great. It's at the Kalahari Resorts in Round Rock, Texas. He arranges for individuals to be able to go tour for an extra price the Riot Windstone mining facility. Yep. So they all go on a bus tomorrow morning. They get to see the whole Bitcoin mining facility. He has Bitmain here, his digital shovel, and other amazing things. And and really is on the tip of the spear when it comes to Bitcoin mining. And, you know, I've been talking a little bit about policy, but I love Scott to just introduce himself. He's doing a great yeah. job again this year. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Yeah, last year, I think Bitcoin Magazine did a write-up on the conference and they had really great things to say, so I appreciate that. But yeah, like, like you're saying, we we got some, uh, some thought leaders here, even Lee from the uh, Texas Blockchain Council is going to be speaking tomorrow. And, and you know, he's obviously more involved in the, the political stuff, so mining and, and politics. And actually on, on a Tuesday, we had a, a benefit here for, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Satoshi Action Fund. They are doing lobbying for Bitcoin miners around the U.S. Uh, as well. So we did a fundraiser for them, try to help them out. And it was, it was great. Yeah. And I think we had a congressman as well. Yeah. Congressman Pete Sessions. So that, that was awesome to have him here. People were, were glad to see, you know, somebody in politics like that, that is kind of slightly tuned into what we're trying to do here with, with Bitcoin mining. Yeah. And, and P and Q, I'm sure if you have any questions for this, but I just want to say one thing I've noticed P and Q is that there doesn't seem to be a slowdown this year with the interest in Bitcoin mining, nor with the vendors, nor like you'd think in a bear market that like 
I oh, was yeah. wondering if there may be five people here for Scott, but there is seem more interest than ever. Please oh yeah, de definitely. I mean, the, the interest is, is different, you know, this time, I, I think you guys can relate, you know, with uh, the, the Bitcoin conference, it's, it's similar here. So the, the people that are at this conference today, this week are, they're, they're the, build, the builders, you know, they're, they're the people that are powering through. And actually one, one of our vendors, Maddox Industrial Transformers, they, they made t-shirts for everybody and it says powering through the dip. And then they have a, a picture of a transformer on it. It's so it's, it's awesome. So, but yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're here, we're powering through it and, uh, and we're, we're building now while it's cheap and, and waiting for, for things to explode. Love that. Always be building during the bear market. Scott, would love to just maybe have you share like what, what are you noticing this year at the conference that's different from just other bull market conferences, if you will? Like what are, what are the conversations like right now? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's amazing. You know, obviously the, the, the tone, the, the feeling is, is maybe a little bit different, not as much hype, you know, people are not as excited right now seeing the, their portfolio cut in half since, since last time we came, but, but that's okay. You know, everybody is, is really just excited to learn from each other. Uh, the, the focus this time at, at this conference is we're, we're really just teaching people the very tactical things on, on how to build a mine. And, and I think people are very appreciative to, to actually get some of that information because that, you know, at, at other conferences, at other places, or, you know, when you're getting your information online, it's all just kind of pieced together as, as you can. But here we're trying to make it as, as cohesive as possible in, in giving them, you know, step-by-step, step, hey, this is how you get your first megawatt of, of Bitcoin miners online. You know, so yeah, the, yeah, the, the atmosphere is, is great. People are, are liking that aspect of it. They're, they're just here to network and, and get to know other people that are, that are like-minded in, in the industry. Love that. I'd love to just, you know, while, while we're having our regulatory episode, check in with regulatory Jason. We earlier in this episode sort of talked about the sham that is ESG and just sustainable sustainability bonds. I'd love Scott, just like maybe either your thoughts or conversations that you're having, especially at this conference around some of the rhetoric directed at mining, specifically Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Yeah. So me personally, yeah, I, I don't know too much about politics. I just, I know about bringing people together. Like I said earlier, we have Lee from the Texas blockchain council that's going to be speaking. And then we also have Clark who is from the basic organization. They're, they're a blockchain security organization. They're, they're also doing lobbying. So, th so they could definitely talk more intelligently about, about regulation and, and politics. But yeah, you know, I, I'm more of just the guy that brings people together. So. Yeah. And has done a wonderful job. And I know you're probably so busy with a hundred different things. He's already had somebody try to call him away <laughs> while he's on the show because he's like right in the heart of his conference. But I think he really runs a very nice family-friendly conference too. That's not that Bitcoin conference is. What are you trying to say, Jason? <laughs> say it to my face. Said, oh man. Yeah, no, no. It's 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 a different vibe. Yeah, <laughs> different vibe. Well, and, and the the Bitcoin mining space is very obviously, and, and maybe. Just the general Bitcoin space, it seems like it's dominated by males and and, and we recognize that and that's great. But there, there's already a lot of venues for, you know, young 
people, young men to go and party. So what, what we wanted to do is just provide something a little bit different. And you know, we, we said this last, last time too, that, that's the reason why we had this at North America's largest water park. It's the largest indoor water park at the Kalahari here in Texas. So last time, you know, we had DJ Paul Oakenfold come and it was, it was awesome. The staff here at Kalahari are still talking about it every day. It was like one of the, the wildest parties they had, but I like it. So you're saying like a normal Bitcoin conferences tend to be a party for individuals. You've turned it into a party for the whole family. Exactly. Um, yeah. Know, love it. Yeah. So yeah, P- I mean, there's other conferences like in, in <laughs> you know, Miami is great. Las Vegas is great, but we're, we're here in Round Rock, middle of nowhere, Round Rock, Texas. And, and at this time people said, yeah, you know, I, I brought my whole family and it's, it's great to see. I imagine like there being like a margarita machine for the adults and then like a margarita machine for the kids. So yeah. That's what's in my head. You know, yeah, my, adults, my kids girl. all getting drunk together, you know, just yeah, there's, wholesome there's, stuff. There's a kid that, that has a, a booth. I, I don't yeah. Know that's my yeah. daughter. Yeah. 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 And, and, and she has her own booth that talk that has like a card game for kids to teach them about Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, you, you guys Love might've it. heard of uh, Shamari. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a, a card game that where you can learn how, how to you know, understand blockchain. And, and Bitcoin. So my, my daughter is trying to sell some of those for, for Scott Sibley and, and his family. They, they couldn't be here, but you know, we're, we're trying to help, help them out. They, they have the, the children's book, good night, Bitcoin. And actually I think just yesterday they, they just dropped a second book. So I, I don't, I don't know what's called, but if, if you know, Shamari, look them up and they, they got some awesome stuff for, for kids education on, on Bitcoin and, and mining. Yeah. And the next time, guys, that I'm going to the White House, I'm bringing his daughter and uh, we're going to play the park card game. I'm going to read Goodnight Bitcoin to President Biden. Nice. One night before he goes <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Just, make sure he, you know, just so we can make sure we're on the same level as they are about their understanding. Of it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for hopping on, Scott. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. Dusty, are you still there? Oh, I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you, shifting topics slightly, are you following this, the ongoing Zcash attack? Oh, just, just loosely. It's, it's interesting. Can you, mean, I'm, I'm, can you give us like the, the 30 second summary of it? We talked about it briefly earlier during news and notes, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts. Well, it's just, it's interesting because like with Bitcoin, like development and design work so hard to plan ahead for these kinds of attacks. And like, the amounts of attacks that are considered and never actually happen on Bitcoin are like enormous. And we like carefully design everything to plan for those. And, you know, it's, it's just a little bit a short and Freud humorist watching another chain that clearly isn't working nearly as hard on any of that stuff and watching one of those like attacks happen. I think it's, that's kind of my take on it. I know I was trying to be magnanimous when I was talking about it earlier and not be like, this is what fucking happens when you don't care about the right things. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the attack is so inexpensive. Apparently it's only costing the person like $10 a day to just massively blow up the entire, uh, every single block. Yeah. I mean, you got to get the incentives, right. You know, from like the, like you got to charge correctly for space in the block. That's important. You got to like have the mempool be forwarding transactions that actually are being paid for. And you got to build a whole system to like keep the incentives such that no one can spam them. And with lightning, it gets even more complicated. So we're like, we're like, I think like the majority of this kind of development stuff, doing it correctly, is just thinking of all the ways people can screw you over and just building for that. And that ends up being like 80 plus percent of the effort and the actual like stuff that gets used for day to day is like the minority of what gets worked on. And I think that's, you know, just for the audience that stands in stark contrast to to what we talk about in Bitcoin, what Dusty's saying is that, you know, in the Bitcoin space, we spend 
so much time thinking all that stuff through, really planning ahead, making sure that changes as they happen. I mean, you know, some of the soft forks that have, that have happened recently, you know, literally have taken years to actually put into effect because everybody is so focused on like, how can we do this in a way that makes sense, doesn't take any risks. Whereas on other, you know, so-called cryptocurrencies and blockchains, the, the ultimate reason for making changes is often different. And it's often much more focused on just I don't, you know, publicity and the perception of value rather than the actual value. Yeah. It's like that over there, like developers are just like, you know, movie stars or whatever. Like, yeah, this guy knows how to do the Zcash roll up, fruit roll up, whatever the hell using snarks and all the fancy new like cryptography words. They just kind of like pull together into a soup and people are like, oh, those words sound great. But what's, what's much less thought through by like maybe orders of magnitude is what are the ramifications of using those things? And like almost all of these ideas actually start out as ideas on Bitcoin. And then there's long conversations about them. Like, okay, here are the reasons why it doesn't make sense to do that. And then people then like take those conversations and use them as the white paper <laughs> motivation for their, their alternative project. And that just keeps happening over and over and over again. Zcash is no exception. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, the attack there is they're just flooding the block space, right? So their block, block sizes are getting really, really huge. Like, that's a little embarrassing. That's like, it seems like of all of the protect, things you can protect against, that one's the more like easy one to protect against. And... So what's the, what's the end game then? This person just keeps doing it at this low cost. <laughs> I mean, eventually their, their block size gets so big, all of their nodes stop being able to process the block and then the whole thing just grinds to a halt. And then, then who knows what, do they do some emergency, whatever. And the thing about these smaller blockchains is like, you talk about like proof of work and proof of stake and whatever. When they get small enough like this, all it really is is proof of authority. It's like whatever the people running it say goes, you have to do what they say, which you could argue Ethereum is kind of in the same bucket because like whatever it talks us to do, everyone kind of just hops and does it. So like, okay, they, if people agreed to whatever rules, those rules just go out the window as soon as someone with authority says they're going to be different. So like, I think usually what happens is somebody with authority will then come in and say, all right, we're going to make this new rule where like we're going to delete, undo the history, rewrite transactions, whatever is probably the end game for, for Zcash. Or just clap. Yeah, it's fine too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So what have we not, what have we not covered so far? Do we feel like we've covered all aspects of this conversation? Is there anything else that has particularly caught either of your, your eyes, your brains lately as it relates to Bitcoin? I think the one thing really is that, you know, this is sort of a regular topic amongst sort of just cryptocurrencies, but the fact that Bitcoin is still a commodity with the CFTC. I think is important. And, you know, the White House laid out that there's been violations of security laws, which, as you know, the industry sort of has two arguments. One argument is, well, you know, it's not clear what we're, what the laws are. And so, you know, why, you know, the fact that we're saying you're, you're in violation of them, it's like a footfall because we need to develop newer laws to adjust for these newer coins and ICOs that are being listed. But it basically kind of says, you know, the White House saying like the SEC should really keep doing what it's doing. And I think that's important from like the perspective of what we saw with Kim Kardashian. It was in the news with where she was hit as an influencer of, was it Ethermax coin? And, and then of course the SEC doubling down saying this is also a security, I guess, based on the efforts of others is what the Howey test says. The, sorry, the efforts of Kim Kardashian, not as a developer. <laughs> on either max but promoting it and, and you see like floyd mayweather right who 
I still remember that video that I can't find anywhere on YouTube where he was like punching a bag and then he took the whole bag out, dumped a bunch of money on his table and is like, I'm going to make a shit ton of money on this next ICO. He was just blatantly promoting an ICO, is now promoting NFTs, you know? And I mean, people are like trying to make jokes like, oh, I got scammed from this NFT. So like, look, obviously P and Q are the only celebrity endorsers we need for Bitcoin. <laughs> Clear. Full stop right there. You like, said P first. P, P first. Yeah, I did. P first. It, it's not, <sighs> is it alphabetical about, or is yeah, that like now being like, like not, you know, not I'm being racial here. Yeah, no. <laughs> how about, how about Makes P sense. I, I support it. Q, support Q and P or P and Jason, P. you little snake. You sat with yeah. me at dinner with a smile on your face. I see you. <laughs> I, I did okay. have a, so, so I think that, yeah, no. So, so just to wrap up that, that quick thought, Dusty, is, is just, so what I'm saying is, you're going to continue to see the SEC. It'll be like whack-a-mole. They'll still be going after ICOs or these new coins. No exceptions. So you're not going to see something change in that regard. And you're going to see a specific focus again on like trying to shame certain idols like Kim Kardashian and others. But I mean, you know, it's a very low cost for them, right? I imagine Kim Kardashian from other endorsements from doing that coin probably made millions of dollars. So a $1 million fine is a slap on the wrist. Hey, don't do it again. But that's, yeah. The kind of easy targets kind yeah. of thing. That makes sense. Like if they went after like Ethereum or something, probably be this huge lawsuit, but they can go after Kim Kardashian and win easily and make a bigger splash by doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and then slip in the, oh, by the way, this Ethermax thing is this security, right. where it's not like they're targeting the Ethereum. Of course, Ethereum reacted, you know, wait a minute, like, but... Yeah, it, it is. Sorry, what were you going to, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I was just kind of, it just seems like, like if I were in the SEC's position, I'd want to go for like the least effort to most like impact, impactful in terms of social awareness things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. Dusty, you're so right. Like, yeah. I, unfortunately, we are, we are in the timeline where everyone knows who Kim Kardashian is and most people just don't know or believe in Bitcoin. Like that is unfortunately the timeline and the universe we live in. I do want to present a question to the both of you, a, a little bit speculative, but I, I've labeled Gary Gensler, both Congress's daddy. And honestly, at this point, I've come up with a new nickname and it is the new boyfriend to Kim Kardashian, Mr. Gary Gensler. You know, Gary's come out a lot and Bitcoiners seem to have sort of grown to believe in Gary Gensler. And he has come out and said certain things like Bitcoin is not a security and it is a commodity. And it seems as though we have an advocate who at least understands that component of Bitcoin at the SEC. But to me, the way I'm processing this is, oh, all that needs to happen is Gary Gensler just needs to get replaced. And then it's literally like, it's, it could literally be someone who is hardcore anti-Bitcoin. And then we're in 20 steps back so my question is, am I fear-mongering a little bit? Do we? Do you guys buy into Gary Gensler's rhetoric as much as a lot of other Bitcoiners do? And is, for the time being, Bitcoin safe so long as, as Papa Gary is in charge there? Mm. First, yeah, go ahead. So I'll, I'll give the naive, like not a political expert answer first. Like, like my understanding of the SEC is their main enforcement mechanism is lawsuits. And at the end of the day, like who is the SEC going to sue in Bitcoin? Like there's not a lot of places. I guess they could sue exchanges for certain things, but I, I, I get the sense Bitcoin's kind of immune from a lot of SEC problems, whether or not we have Gary Gensler up there or not. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, I mean, when Gary Gensler first started talking about this, he, he acknowledged that the, the inventions of Satoshi Nakamoto are real. 
both the cryptography and the distributed ledger, you know, system behind it. And so he doesn't object at all to Bitcoin. And quite frankly, there's no way really for them to say Bitcoin is a security because there we do not know who Satoshi Nakamoto is, number one. Number two, it is a new invention that's been around for 14 or 15 years. So a lot of times other coins are like, why does Bitcoin get a pass? It's like, well, why does the internet get a pass, right? I mean, it, Bitcoin is a lot more than just that currency. It's the fundamental invention that everyone else is really working off of. I don't think you're going to see another person come in and try to fight that battle because the CFTCs already claimed it as a commodity. You already have Bitcoin futures and options markets functioning, which is the key to it remaining as a commodity. It doesn't mean that there, if there's powers that are given to the CFTC, which might happen, to, to you know, go ahead and regulate the, the commodities market, that could be different, right? They could put in certain regulations about disclosures you have to sign electronically or whatever before you buy Bitcoin. So that's Bitcoin's always under that potential threat, but it's not going to come from like a change to the SEC. That, that, that has... That 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 for them to reverse back to the SEC to say that the Bitcoin is not a security is a security would unravel all of the work that they've done where they've done examples against Bitcoin and said well this is not like Bitcoin so therefore it's a security you're seeing all of this unravel right now too in the Ripple case Ripple has been particularly nasty about going back and trying to find records of when the SEC would try to compare. Bitcoin to Ripple. And that's a large part of where they're pushing that argument in the courts. So that that is one thing that I would say has not done damage to Bitcoin, but it has revealed like they've Ripple's really tried to tear apart this argument, but even that's not going to be enough for them to say, oh, well, you're right. You know, your security and Bitcoin is a security. And that's the real debate. And that's the fine line that's going on in that Ripple case. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, my friends, we're, we've come to the end of our show today and I want to give both of you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you and how they can stay up to date with what you're working on. Well, I'm, I'll go. I have a at regulatory Jason is my way you can find me on Twitter. Feel free to DM me. Someone asked me, is there like going to be a YouTube channel coming out? I'm going to finally start some sort of regulatory podcast. So that'll come out soon and I'll announce Fantastic. that on Twitter. So uh, and it'll cover the regulatory, uh, you know, aspect as it specifically impacts Bitcoin. Cool. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm, I'm Dusty, going by Dusty these days. I'm a Core Lightning developer, working on the Core Lightning implementation of Lightning. You can find me on Twitter. It's a little hard to spell, but it's Dusty underscore Damon, D-A-E-M-O-N, not Demon. Yeah, that, that's me. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much. And I think that's going to be it for today. I want to remind everybody that Bitcoin Amsterdam is happening next week. If you are in Europe, use code BMLive to get 10% off and uh, you should definitely go. It's going to be absolutely incredible. We also, of course, have Bitcoin Magazine, the print edition, which is on shelves now. You can also use code BMLive to get 10% off. That's all we got for you today. We will see you same time, same place tomorrow where I will be eating a shoe. See you then. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. 
Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-work shop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.